Hello, everyone, and welcome to Know the Show, our musical theater podcast where we deep dive into classic musicals one at a time. My name is Michael Fling. I'm the Artistic Associate at Goodspeed Musicals, and I'm thrilled to be joined by the person that, truthfully, I would love to be stranded on a deserted island with, Annika Chapin, Signature Theaters, Director of Artistic Development. Hi, Annika. Hi, I thought you were going to say the only exotic baboon in in Gander, maybe. Well, that one would work too. And I really shouldn't have called it a deserted island because it's not a deserted island. I was going to say, it's very it's not just, deserted. It's just very remote. It's like, where it are is. we? Famously, where are we? Um, so in case people don't know what musical it is we're previewing, if they have not actually looked at the title of the episode, um, would you remind us of the clue about the show that we'll be getting to know this episode? Yes, absolutely. So our clue was that this production, this original production, there's been one on Broadway so far, has uh, used living trees or actual trees on the set. And an unintended side effect was that even though they obviously had been cut down to be put on the, the set and were no longer supposed to be alive, they sprouted new leaves over the course of the run. Um, and that is a true fact and a very potent metaphor about what the show is about. And the show, of course, is Come From Away by Irene Sankoff and David Hine, a married couple. Uh, which uh, the first married couple to do a show that we have uh, profiled on the show. Is that real? No. Not, uh, Comden, oh, no, they, they're not married. They're not married, though, right? They're no, not. they're not married. Uh, is interesting. that real? Maybe. Well, because there, I feel like there's so few, like... I mean, right, right. Written by women in general. So it's like, how many did we... Well, yeah, maybe. Annika, it's also 2023. Men can marry men and women can marry women. But that... I know, you know but, but when you're thinking about, like, the history of theater... Yes, no, I know. Dealing I'm dealing with us I'm, partnerships. I'm teasing you. No, but the between the two w- of them... Wouldn't it be amazing if I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? What, what? Not not in God's eyes, Michael. <laughs> insert insert <laughs> insert insert gif of Jennifer Lawrence going. What 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 do you mean right here? Right. Insert that meme I right just here. Reveal myself to be incredibly homophobic <laughs> in this and very ignorant in this very moment. Love no, but between the two of them, both music and lyrics, a rare thing. So that will bring us to the speed test. Hudson's floor wax doesn't matter. 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 Where I do my best to summarize the plot of Come From Away in less than a minute. Feeling good about this one, to be honest, but we'll see. Yeah, this is one of those that I think it's either like you can do it in like seconds 15 or, seconds or yeah. it's going to take you 15 minutes. So I think I think I unfortunately don't know the characters' names well enough to do any better than a very quick summary. Okay, well, let's let's do it. Another plane and another plane and another plane. Go. So we have um, it is uh, September 11th, 2001, um, a, a horrific day in history that I, I believe everyone who listens to this podcast uh, remembers or is aware of. And um, basically, uh, this is the story of the town of Gander in Newfoundland that was uh, where 38 planes were diverted on 9-11 after the attacks on the World Trade Center and Pentagon and um, and this tells the story of all of the people who are, you know, the come from a ways, uh, quotation mark, uh, who were on the planes that were um, taken in by the community of Gander and the five days that the five, four or five days that they spent um, in Gander and um, all of the um, new friendships and new relationships and community that was built um, out of this really horrific tragedy. Um, and it really just tells the story of those of those five days. Yeah. 
that's great. I mean, you've got seven seconds to spare. I was gonna say without because I I can't get into all the like various. No, you can't possibly. There are, too, there are no. too many, and that's part of the wonder and joy of the show. Um, but I I'm like oh it's yeah. I was already stressing about like the favorite character segment when we get later. I'm like, what is everybody? I know. What's his name? Me too. So, um, but yeah, a truly truly wonderful show. If you have not um, seen it either on Broadway or um, in a touring house near you. Um, license or they did a very good capture of it too there's a great capture i watched it i i in fact watched it in preparation for this um which i had not watched but it's on apple tv um i'm gonna go as far as to say that it is actually one of the best if not the best um live capture of a show that i've seen in like a, a pro shot that i've seen in a long time it does a really 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 nice job it still does some of the stuff that i hate when it's like pretends that it's not theater or gets like angles and i'm like we didn't need that it actually is okay it's a piece of theater but it does very yeah so i appreciate it for that it's a great capture it is yeah so that'll bring us to why god why why god why today where we talk about the show's main idea what is the purpose behind the show and what's the story that the authors are trying to tell so for me, this one is 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 quite easy. I think the unifying purpose, the the central theme that's guiding the authors, is is the theme of bringing people together, and and what happens when people who are from disparate places of different cultures of different worlds are brought together, and that is really the theme that I think propels all of the storytelling beats for sure, and the and the the ways that they choose the the stories they choose to tell. Um, which in some ways is every story that is this because it is so central. Like it is talk about a theme that really unifies the entire approach to the story, the entire event, um, all the things. So it is a story of community in a lot of ways that is uh, a new community, uh, a community that exists and then a community that is altered um, by a, a new community that is created um, and in this, in a new world. And these people, you know, in the face of a horrific, horrific event, um, really finding um the you know a beautiful side of humanity uh in the midst of in the midst of awful awful world events um but Annika what about for you what what would you say is this show's governing governing idea and purpose oh I think it's just pure Canadian propaganda really um I mean there's a reason Justin, Bureau, cynical uh, there's a reason no, Justin kidding. Trudeau wrote the intro for the <laughs> I mean <laughs> it it does uh make you want to move to Canada but um no, I'm. I am totally kidding. I agree with you in, uh, very much. I think it is. Um, I was going to say also like a celebration of the best in humanity too. I think it is um, just about, you know, it set against the backdrop of something that is kind of the worst part of humanity. It is really something that highlights the best of it. Really, what what people can be to each other. Um, in circumstances that are extremely stressful and extremely unusual. And um, I, I think that's, yeah, that's what it is. I mean, and interestingly, I mean, I know I'm always talking about protagonists. I think this is another show that really does not have a protagonist at all. This one has as a protagonist even less, I think, than any other show we've ever talked about on this podcast. Um, we are dealing very much with a superstructure on this one, and we're dealing very much with a specific kind of storytelling that I think allows that kind of uh, format to work. Um, so, yeah, I think it is very much a community thing in, on a lot of different levels. 
agreed wholeheartedly. It really doesn't have a, there is not a protagonist. No. The, you know, common, you know, there really is not. I, I would, no. I really, there's not one person that you're following. There's not, you're following no. everybody. If there's an yeah. antagonist, it's, it's people who are never seen from or heard. Yeah. And, yeah. And it, but it was interesting because I was thinking about this one with a chorus line, which obviously is my other best example of like, I mean, you can argue that chorus line has a tiny bit more of a protagonist in Cassie than, um, than this show does. But, and I was like, you know, it's funny. I can't think of a show that has a ton of characters um, that doesn't use this kind of narration to some degree. Like, Chorus line is different because it's obviously not people being like, and then this happened and then this happened. And like, let me just tell you the story. Like they're not being narrators in the way that they're being narrators, everybody on this show, but it does have that sort of like the audition format. So they are kind of like in a position where they are just being asked questions that they are answering um, to us. Like it's not all just kind of like organic scenes arising. Um, And then even ragtime has a little bit of like, which is another show that has a million characters in it starts out with that sort of like father was the, mm-hmm. the head of the, the blah, 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 blah. you know, it's like, I don't know if you can get around that when you have such a big storytelling load to handle um, because it's would be very, 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 very difficult to organically get all those stories in there um, in the length of a conventional musical format. So. I mean, I think just something yeah, to note. Well, and the and the it was interesting because I you you saying all that made me think. At one point, I was were thinking about prepping the episode, and I was like, maybe we should bring back that segment that we did for a few a few shows. That was like, what are the what are the sister shows? Like, what are the oh uh, yeah yeah mm-hmm. what are the things that are kind of similar? And I was like, because it is a very unique um, a unique musical, and and it, so in that I was like, because one of the shows I it in some ways actually reminds me of and go with me here is assassins mm-hmm. if only because you're talking about like certainly american tragedy but you're talking about like a lot of disparate people who are brought together under mm-hmm. you know and, and in assassins it's much more conceptual it's not realistic but it is there are lots of weird interesting parallels i think actually that um it, it's not the same show in any way in any way shape or form but there are interesting they're interesting cousins, I think. Yeah, I think I think that's a very interesting, um, a really interesting parallel to draw. I think that's not. It's, it's a little bit of a hot take parallel, wrong. but I was like, I was like, yeah, but you're talking about a lot of individual people, and that show does kind of avoid uh, oblique yeah. narration in a certain way, except you have the ballads and you've got different things. But, but mm-hmm. you're also sp- specifically talking about like shows in which there are hundreds of characters that's not really what you we're not just ensemble pieces generally we're talking about like right you have a scope and a breadth of character that is like impossible to achieve in many ways Mm -hmm. yeah so Annika why don't you take us back to before and tell us about the origins of Come From Away we can never go back to before well, for this one, it's an interesting one to to go into the backstory of, because in many ways, the show itself kind of contains its own backstory a little bit. Um, certainly the the historical event on which it is based is portrayed in the show. Um, and I didn't really want to talk about, I mean, 9-11 obviously looms very large in this narration and is in the show, but I kind of felt like we know enough about that to to be able to, I mean, the show tells you what you need to know about 9-11 and also like 
oh, it's just so big and sad. And I didn't want to talk about it, frankly. So I wanted to talk about something much happier, which is this writing team, Irene Sankoff and David Hine. Um, they are just lovely. I met them many, many years ago because um, I, I, my friend directed their first show and they just are like exactly the people that you would imagine to create this show. Um, they are authentically, deeply kind, good people. It's, I mean, I don't know. It's been a while since I know them. Maybe they've turned into monsters, but I doubt it. You know, it's the kind of thing where it's like, I think the show is remarkable for its, its lack of saccharineness, um, even though it is about topics that could easily go very saccharine and feel very sort of like cloying or overly sweet. It feels very authentically kind and good. Um, and that's a tough balance to find. And it feels like these people are are people who are like that just in general. So it, it makes sense that they are creating something that is uh, that much of this. Anyway, why don't I actually talk about them in, instead of just giving this whole background? So, all right. Um, Irene Sankoff was raised in a suburb of Toronto and she grew up going to musicals with her mom. So she really loved musicals. While David Hine grew up in Saskatchewan, one of my favorite places to say, Saskatchewan. And he went to folk festivals, folk music festivals with his mom. Um, so they were both coming from this like music background, but a different, slightly different versions. Um, and they both ended up going to York University in Toronto, which is where they met. I think they met on the first day, but didn't end up dating right away. But then they did end up dating. Um, they were both theater majors, although they had different paths. She was an actor and he was doing more tech work and music. So after college, they decided to move to New York City and they were doing kind of odd jobs around the city uh, while living in, at International House, which is a residential center for students from around the world. It's sort of up by Columbia, uptown. And that is where they were on September 11th. Uh, they were in International House. They got a call. One of them got a call from a parent asking, like, you know, is everything okay? And that's where they found out. And they went onto the, the roof of the building with a lot of the other residents to watch the smoke rise from the towers downtown. Um, and eventually someone sat down at a piano and there was a sort of impromptu concert that began. And so they described later, they were both really struck by how that music helped that little community come together to grieve and heal, even that little microcosm of that day. And then uh, they decided they were very like influenced by 9-11 and, and watching this horrible thing. So they decided not to wait. They got married at City Hall the next month because they just they sort of changed their life philosophy. And their witness was Heinz's cousin, Tanya, who had worked in the South Tower and had been there on 9-11, but had escaped that morning. So their story, their love story is in some ways entwined with 9-11, which is kind of remarkable. And music and 9-11 and healing and coming together on 9-11. So I, they were sort of destined to do this project. So um, after that, they were both so busy working that they sort of decided that they were going to uh, do a project together, basically. Uh, they moved back to Toronto because they decided that they just wanted to be back in their home turf. And they set off to write a project that ended up being uh, their first show, which is called My Mother's Lesbian Jewish Wiccan Wedding, which was inspired by Heinz's mother and her story. And they started the show themselves at the Toronto Fringe Festival in 2009. 
Uh, and then the show was picked up by the Canadian entrepreneur, David Murbish, producer, who brought the show to many other venues. It kind of has been done in various places, including in New York. Um, it's very sweet, that show. And then in 2010, the pair met with the awesome Michael Rubinoff, who's the champion of Canadian musical theater. And just a man, she's such a lovely person. Hi, Michael. I hope you listen to this and know that we love you. Um, Friend of the show, Mike Michael Rubinoff. We love Michael Rubinoff. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know if he listens to the podcast, but... I honestly I hope that he does and I would not be surprised if he does to be honest I know he's that kind of guy he's that kind of guy we love him um and so and he had an idea for a show and uh it was inspired by the story of Gander and these 38 planes that landed there after 9-11 and they were not the first team he approached a few other writers had turned it down because they felt like it was too tough uh in terms of subject matter but Sankoff and Hines saw the possibilities, and uh, especially having been so close to 9-11 themselves, they saw something in this story. I'm going to turn it over to Michael Fling to take it from there. And that will bring us to Putting It Together. Bit by bit, putting it together. Piece by piece, only way to make a work of art. Where we talk about how the show is literally put together. So... As Annika said, Michael Rubinoff approached them, um, founder of the musical, uh, the Canadian Music Theater Project at Sheridan College, so many words, um, and uh, pitched them the story and they were they were interested. And so uh, they the idea being that it could be workshopped at Sheridan College and then eventually have a presentation in Toronto, then take it back to Gander. That was kind of the initial like, hey, that's that's kind of the destiny of this show. So um, Irene and David applied for a grant uh, that uh, would allow them to travel to Gander for a three-week residency during the 10-year anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. Uh, and there's actually a really great quote in the book, um, the the book that is a, a wonderful, wonderful coffee table book. Um, we don't have a sponsorship deal in any way, shape, or form, but um, oh, come from away, welcome to The Rock, um, that uh, Lawrence Maslin put together. Um, shout out to Lawrence Maslin, who does a great job putting together a coffee table book. This is not his only coffee table book um, for musical theater nerds uh, who are listening and uh, know are familiar with his um, Sound of Music Companion and South Pacific Companion. I need to get a life. So, um, <laughs> no, uh, shout out for Larry Maslon is I, never I, out of place. He's, he's great. Part of their their um, their application um, for this grant, I just it was very prophetic and. Um, with the tentative title of Gander, this musical, tentative title Gander, Gander will be anchored in a simple in simple group storytelling through humor, movement, and folk music. We want to have a casual but energetic, quote, kitchen party feeling, as if the cast is gathered with the audience in homes and pubs throughout Newfoundland to share these stories and sing these songs. With simple staging, we can explore the full scope of the story. Become Barstools become a raucous pub, and later they'll become the seats of a jumbo jet. In Gander, we're all in it together. Um, and they used um, the Laramie Project actually as a bit of a guidepost as they were putting it together. So I just love, I love that quote. Um, and they're very right about their initial approach, even though it took, yeah. it took quite the road to get back to that, but they were really, they were really quite right. So, so they got the grant and they went and interviewed um, person after person about their experience the decade prior. And because of the anniversary, a lot of people remembered a lot. And we're very happy to talk to them. And they would just like fill notebooks and pages and pages and people sent them letters. And they just had in incredible cooperation and kind of talked to like every single person you could imagine from their like check-in person at the hotel to the random person at the pub and like 
all and many of the jokes that are like in the show about you know like the gander people being so welcoming and like the doors are always open and all that kind of stuff like people gave ended up giving them like their home be like oh no stay at our house for like another week and do more stuff and you know the neighbors will come over it's there are a lot of incredible stories just about how how they were met with open arms by this community um so and it's it's kind of wild too when you read like like everything in this show is basically something that somebody told them like it is not just sort of inspired by a bunch of different stories like they really really like got a lot of true stories woven into this piece in a way that is really impressive because that is very difficult to do and definitely and combined people and you know did typical things that musicals do right but but to Annika's point like it's all based in something it's all real um, so after the trip, they went away to a cabin and sorted through all the stories, resulting in a first read through at Sheridan that was between three and four hours long. Um, by page 100, they hadn't even gotten off the planes yet. Um, and so and their initial presentation at Sheridan was meant to be 45 minutes long. Uh, so a tough, a tough road to start out on. Um, but again, not uncommon for a musical. Um, so I've been to readings <laughs> like that, you know, like. Oh, uh, let at a certain point I have to go like feed my cat, I, pick up I, my child. I was at one just last week, sadly. Um, oh, yeah. But I was like, unfortunately, I was like, I have a meeting. I have to like go. Um, so the show initially began with the ten year reunion, and the stories unfolded at, as if you were sitting in a kitchen party, as as the um, as the uh, application for the <clears throat> grant had had said. So they have their initial presentations in Canada, um, and then um, Goodspeed. Uh, famously where I where I'm employed and where Annika and I met and uh, a wonderful developer of new musicals offered David and Irene a slot in its festival of new musicals which at the time was called the festival of new artists um, which actually coincided with what was the beginning of the rehearsals for the planned production at Sheridan College Um, but at Rubinoff's insistence they accepted the offer he was like you'd be crazy to turn down basically a free workshop and free development at good speed of all places. Um, And so they um, honed the show even further at the festival. Um, And, uh, but this was happening like simultaneous to the rehearsals beginning in Canada at Sheridan college. So there are actually some really lovely stories about the students in the festival. Um, For those of you who are unaware, we use um, students from the heart school and um, Boston conservatory at the time uh, for, um, for our like acting company in the festival. And there's some lovely stories about like the students that were in the festival production, like FaceTiming and Zooming or not Zooming, but, like Skyping probably at the time with students in Canada. And they were like singing songs together and talking about things. And it was like, it's very lovely and heartwarming. Um, so the Goodspeed presentation um, was actually the first time that the full script was performed in front of an audience. Um, at this point in two manageable acts, um, after going additional rewrites and cuts. And again, in the Welcome to the Rock book, there are some lovely um, bits of the show that were cut that they put in, in print for the full thing. So you can kind of read the things that didn't um, didn't make it into the show um, that it, were equally interesting, just in like probably good cuts um, that, that, were, that were right to make, but um, some interesting little tidbits in there, uh, including an entire story about a very high-powered um, fashion designer who i i didn't know the name of but i'm not really a fashion person i i didn't also didn't and i i know a lot of those names so i was like that's probably a good cut because i think we they would have everyone would have been like you made that up 
I was a lot say, of people would. If I can get to it quickly, I'll get the. I'll pull the actual. It's name. also a very made up sounding name. It's like. Yeah, it's like it's very. It's like, yeah, where is it? I don't know if I can find it quickly, but um. Oh, uh, Werner, Werner Baldassar, Baldassarini. Yeah, Baldassarini. Yeah. Um. So was heard at good speed, but then cut. Um. But was there apparently in Gander? That was very real and. Uh, kind of a celebrity of sorts to a certain subset of people. So, um, so with that, the Sheridan production was very successfully staged by Brian Hill, um, a wonderful writer in his own right, um, who also directed the Goodspeed, um, the Goodspeed Festival presentation. Um, and then it was included in the 2013 NAMPT Festival, um, which we're about to go to NAMPT next week. We love NAMPT. Yep, I, NAMPT. and I, I <laughs> saw it at NAMPT. I remember seeing it at NAMPT. I was at that presentation, and I remember. Well, there's two presentations. I remember I was at one of them. Um, and I remember it being one of those things where everybody in the room was like turning to each other, like, wait, is it just me or is this really exciting? Um, it's like, and- it, that seems to be the, the, at least even in the book, it was like, yeah, everybody kind of, it was like, yeah. there's, there's a meeting at NAMPT after for the member theaters, National Alliance of Musical Theater, for those who are not aware, um, uh, of which uh, Goodspeed is a founding member. So at the meeting after the festival, there's a there's a meeting with member theaters to be like, hey, would anybody inter- be interested in picking any of these shows up for further development? Blah blah blah. blah. That's kind of the the um, the route. And apparently, according to the a book at the meeting after, and it was actually not a bad NAMPT year. There are some titles in there of of shows that have uh, I was unfamiliar with and things. Um, but apparently, you know, it got to come from away. I was like, anyone interested in come from away? And every hand in the room just like shot up, uh, which Ruben Alf was like, yeah, it makes me like, like, I just got, I just started crying. Like it was, it, it yeah. was a wonderful, wonderful moment. Well, also I remember about that year at NAMPT that uh, David and Irene were there, of course, because the writers are are usually there, but their daughter, Molly, who was born in 2013, was a baby and I remember that they had her in a stroller in a gander onesie. It was That's so cute. It was so cute. So it was like you saw this really lovely, warm show. And then you came out and saw this like married couple who had written it with their adorable baby wearing a gander uh, onesie. And it was just like, oh, really best. doubling, really doubling down on that Canada feeling of just like yeah. warmth and, you know, things. Just pure Canada. So pure in the vein, Canada. So after so after NAMPT, Junkyard Productions, um, again, a friend of the show, Sue Frost, um, and uh, Kenny and Marlene pick up the show um, and assemble, uh, become the commercial producers, pick it up and assemble a new creative team um, that was going to be headed by Chris Ashley, who's the artistic director of La Jolla um, out in uh, San Diego, and uh, uh and, and then Kelly Devine um, to do the musical stage of the show. Uh, and they kind of, they started to put together this little um, like mini regional tour of sorts, really a co-pro between La Jolla and then Seattle Rep um, that would do the um, initial kind of production of, of the show. So in preparation for the production, um, they had a workshop where they focused on staging only the first 20 minutes of the show. Uh, and did the rest of the show with books in hand with basically the com- the company that would open it at La Jolla and then take it to Seattle Rep. There a small a small change in there. Um, Kendra Kassabaum, who is a Seattle local, uh, was in the Seattle production and had done the workshop but didn't do the La Jolla stint. Um, and I don't think Kendra listens to the show, but I love Kendra and she's absolutely wonderful. So Kendra, if you do listen, love you lots, miss you. Um, and uh, so yeah, it officially played La Jolla in 2015 with that co-pro in um, Seattle. And then after that went to Ford Cedar in DC on the East Coast uh, in 2016, 
where it then transferred to Broadway. And really the, the stories from, from uh, all of the out-of-town tryouts, I mean, I remember hearing words from friends at various places being like, okay, so you probably haven't heard of this little show called Come From Away, but it is absolutely wonderful and so good. And I remember being, I was like, wait, and I didn't know anything about it. I knew that it was coming to Broadway, but I was like, I don't know anything about this. And, but I had multiple friends be like, it is absolutely incredible. And that seemed the word of mouth really carried the show. I mean, it did, did fine with um, initial sales, but then, and reviews were, you know, great. And people would come back and bring truckloads of people with them. And so it really had this like groundswell of, of support from the theater going public um, and landed on Broadway in March of 2017. I think uh, in many ways, the absolute perfect time for this show, it was needed so desperately. And I remember going to a, an early preview. Um, I got my little TDF ticket and sat in the, Mez when when again nobody really in New York totally knew and I sat there with my jaw like on the floor and I went back and saw it again that week I was like I have to go see this again it was so I just was absolutely transported by it so the only other like you know production fun fact to throw in here which um shout out to our um Facebook group uh because this is being included because it was talked about in the Facebook group and if you're not in our Facebook group you should go on Facebook search for know the show podcast we have a Facebook group that there's lovely discussion happening in and um, people connecting who are listeners of the program. Um, and in reference to our um, our clue, uh, the trees, the live trees that were on stage from uh, the, uh, were actually from the Adirondacks. They wanted trees that were from Gander, but they couldn't really like make that happen. And so they went as close as they could. They went to the Adirondacks, chopped down some trees and um, included them as a part of the construction of the, or a part of the set design. Um, a little bit to invoke um, some of the cross beams and themes uh, and things of um, the towers. Um, there's some there's some real carving that then happens within within the trees and whatnot. But um, just a little fun fact that we we promised we'd tell that story in the Facebook group. So uh, shout out to the Facebook group. Um, come join us, and you too can have influence on what you hear in <laughs> in, in episodes. Um, and so yeah, so we go it it goes to Broadway. It's nominated for you know a handful of tonys it chris ashley wins for his direction um and uh is that the only tony that it wins i think it's the only tony that it wins maybe for something else too i should actually look this up we shouldn't um, yeah i was wondering about this too because I, I was thinking like what was the what was the competition that the competition was? was famously dear evan hansen um uh. so it was so come from away had this ground i i will anecdotally say from you know being a cognizant and alive theater maker and uh, person in New York City at the time. Um, Come From Away was really the Cinderella story of the season because nobody had expectations for it. Dear Evan Hansen had opened in the fall. And of course, is Dear Evan Hansen had, was a sensation already um, and Ben Platt and, and all the things. Um, and, but there was a real, like, you know, if we take ourselves back to early 2017, when it just seemed like the world was absolutely on fire, we're in a little bit of that same moment now as a, as a universe, but um, it, it come from way really seemed to speak to the moment in a way that was really impactful to um, a lot of Tony voters. And so there was a real groundswell of support that come from away might actually get best musical over Darren Hansen and might actually um, take the Tony right out of its hands, which um, I, I will not, I will, I will go on record and saying I was a part of that group that was like, yeah, you know what? I really want Come From Way to win the best musical. I think that'd be really great. I, I, I absolutely loved it. Um, 
and Dear Evan Hansen did win both shows ran for quite a long time on Broadway. It, it did not hurt either of them or, you know, it was absolutely fine. Um, but yeah, the only Tony it did when I just looked it up was for Chris Ashley for his direction. Um, it went home empty handed otherwise. Um, but it was a pretty, really- pretty heated Tony battle. That was a, the yeah. 2016 was a full, full year at the, for Broadway. Yeah. And I have to say, it's exciting anytime that the big battle is between two really original musicals because now I feel like it's hard to not have something be like a f- adaptation of a famous film or like you know an adaptation of a famous film or you know an adaptation of a famous film something like that or not to but also you know like jukebox musical featuring the music of fill in the blank you know that's it was it was also that to to or a jukebox musical featuring the music of that adapted from a famous film. sure also that also that Moulin Rouge uh I only speak the truth, says the sitar. Um, so that, uh, yeah. So I think that's so. Come from away. It has now had life and is is doing quite well. Uh, national tours, as we said, and I think about to, you know, uh, about to be released for licensing after this um, this tour wraps up. I think, but um, and has now yeah. officially had a non replica production in Gander um, that uh, recently that. Michael Rubinoff kind of brought it back home and they did a non-Rafka production that uh, apparently was really delightful and great and just different, but uh, truly a, a wonderful, wonderful piece of piece of musical theater. Yeah. Yeah. And some international productions as well. London, Australia, like it's, it's out there in the world. It's a, a contemporary classic. And it continues to do very well. You know, like people, audiences love it. My sister, again, friend of the show, absolutely loves Come From Away. And I'm like, yeah, as you should. It's a, it's a great, great show. I, highly recommend it if you don't know it if you have already listened this far and you're like i still don't know come from way go watch it go watch it on apple tv go listen to it on spotify or apple music whatever you it is such a wonderful heartwarming just like hug it is it truly is and even reading the script yesterday i was i was like it made me it fully made me cry a few times oh i it's hard for me to it's hard for me to not cry like i just well up with tears multiple times as i it's just i think which we can get to. We'll we'll get to that in the ne- in the next section, or not the next section, but in a, a couple sections. So, Annika, with that, why don't you take us into the words and show us what's inside me in the sky? What's inside? Everyone wants to know what's inside. So this is a song that is, I'd say, one of the more famous songs from this show. Uh, it's also one of the only solo numbers. It might be the only solo number. Um, originally there were a few more for different characters, but they all ended up getting cut in favor of the songs that, uh, mostly are in the show, which features several characters at the same time. Um, and I think there's a reason that this one survived because it really gives us insight into a character that we've, we've gotten to know a little bit, but it gives us a sort of different perspective than we haven't really seen before in the show. And it comes also at a sort of rhythmically a good time. Um, this is after this the screech moment, um, this big party number, and this is kind of the beginning of what's going to sort of be the move towards the end of the show. Um, at some point, apparently, they decided that the act break, there should be an act break after the last number. So this would have been kind of the first number of the second act, which makes sense. It's sort of on its own. Um, it's kind of a new setting. They subsequently decided that just as the people of Gander didn't really have a break, neither should the people in the audience, which actually I think is a really good idea. It doesn't feel like a show that needs an intermission. But but we we have a sort of change in 
the kind of song it is, the kind of music it is, uh, rhythmically the kind of feeling that it is. A little bit more internal, a little bit more time spent with one person, a backstory um, that we really haven't gotten. So uh, it's a, and it's a great song. It really is. I mean, it's really lovely. And it is it is based on pretty much verbatim interviews that the writers did with the real Beverly Bass um, over several hours uh, at the, the 10th anniversary of 9-11. So a lot of these lines that are in this song are, are pretty much exactly what she said. Uh, so it's very, very remarkable that they, re they managed to pack in as much storytelling as they do in this song while still making it a solid dramatic song that goes somewhere that um, adds to our experience of the show in general. So let's dive in. My parents must have thought they had a crazy kid Cause I was one of those kids who always knew what I wanted So the song starts small. It just feels very sort of just like her and a guitar kind of feels like an interview. She's sitting uh, at a table on stage. It feels like more like an interview than other parts of the show. Um, it's very intimate, this song, in a way that the rest of the show doesn't quite have the same sort of intimacy. We know that we're setting down with her to hear a story, basically. Um and it's not, we haven't been wrapped up in it yet. And of course, we get this lovely uh, introduction to herself as a kid. Like, um, she was one of those kids who always knew what she wanted. We have a repetition of kid in the lyrics. Uh, it really feels like something that somebody is is saying, you know, off the top of their head, um, getting some nice little repeated words and rhymes. And I really like that, that the first note of wanted feels a little bit unusual. It's like goes to a place you don't quite expect it. Um, like she's already breaking the expectations. They took me down to the airport to see all the planes depart and watching them fly something inside of me was starting. I was eight when I told him that I'd be a pilot. I love that this part has this repeating musical phrase going down. It's the opposite of what she's going to do in the air, which is take off, right? But we're getting this kind of sense that she's moving towards something, um, but she's not there yet. And then we get that same little unexpected quirk on the note of pilot, right? Like it's not it's not what you're expecting to hear, of course, because you're not expecting to hear it from an eight-year-old girl at this time. But I was too young and too short and there were no female captains in my day. Said be patient, he said, just see what happens. But I took my first lesson, came down from the sky, and told my father I'd fly for the rest of my life. So this is a simple melody, as I said, it's really letting the word shine. But even so, it's capturing her getting closer to her dream. The percussion's starting to kick in. We're getting wrapped up in this dream, this story of what she's doing. Um, we're invested in her becoming a pilot, becoming the pilot that she wants to be. And the melody is climbing higher. We can feel her getting closer to the sky. So just a really lovely mirroring of uh, music and content. And I got my first job flying for a mortician in a tiny bonanza, just a corpse and me, five dollars an hour for flying dead bodies. I had to climb over their faces just to get to my seat. And suddenly the wheels lift off, the ground is falling back. 
is great. I mean, you get this real like repeating melody again. Uh, this one is climbing slowly up and then retreating, then climbing up, then finally breaking free of it on Alive. Um, because we're getting this lovely part about, you know, working for a mortician and that's this funny, you know, it's a funny story that she's telling us, but then we can really feel her in that cockpit taking off. Um, and I love that they do this combo phrase, suddenly the wheels lift off the ground is falling backward. Like there's suddenly the wheels lift off the ground and also the ground is falling backward. Um, it's kind of, giving you that sense that two things are happening at the same time. And you can also kind of feel her excitement at this. It's just moving forward. It's moving forward in even skipping over words that you might actually need. Um, and then we get to that, that really wonderful big note on alive. She feels alive. You know, this is suddenly where she's destined to be uh, in the sky. She's breaking open. finally get to where Beverly wants to be and it's so great and this song uses suddenly a lot which normally is not my favorite it's not my favorite word because I feel like it's overused and it's a little bit of a cheat a lot of the time um but here I think it's it's a very clever thing to do because it achieves the purpose of jumping through all of these things happening um and it captures the sense that all of this is just kind of flying by which is it what life feels like when you're doing all those things, you know, you, you can like barely catch it and it's just happening. Um, and of course you don't want to, you don't want the story to feel like, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then. So having this sort of suddenly this is happening, suddenly this is happening, suddenly this is happening, um, avoids that because it, it puts us in her position of just, you know, being kind of going through all of these things that happened to her, um, as she's going along this journey. And it's going to help us a little bit later because obviously, you know, as much as these things feel unexpected, we know that where we're getting is somewhere something really unexpected happens. And then we get this magnificent, there's nothing in between me and the sky. Um, and Jen Kalella, gorgeous, gorgeous voice, Jen Kalella just belts that note out and it just is so open and gorgeous. And we're just sitting on that beautiful note for a minute with the music just happily chugging along under her just supporting that note we can hear the expanse of the sky in front of her um especially after all these listed suddenly actions you know that's that's another benefit to having all of those words kind of like piled up there is that the contrast when we get to her in the sky is just so clear like all of this stuff is happening in her life but when it's just her in the sky it's time and space and everything and joy and just everything that you could just hear in her voice right there simple and open american airlines had the prettiest planes so i applied as a flight engineer but the world war ii pilots they all complained they said girls shouldn't be in the cockpit hey lady hey baby hey why don't you grab us a drink Attendants weren't my friends back then And they said, are you better than us? Do 
jumped in ahead a bit because obviously there's a lot in this song and this section we get something different um it's she's she's achieved the sky and now this part is is about her getting to be the pilot that she wants to be she's not just flying she is now kind of rising in the ranks to be a commercial pilot in a very sexist industry that doesn't really i'm well at a sexist time um many industries were sexist at the time um and still but uh so she's overcoming this particular uh boundary to that prevents her from being in the sky uh and so that's a very clever kind of shift in what that words those words mean um and as the story grows and expands it grows and expands musically like i love that they have this clapped line to tell us that she's the first female american captain in history like it feels like that line is important enough that they want us to hear it specifically. So they give it its own language, which is this kind of like rhythmic backup. And then after that, all of the women in the cast are singing along with her um, to indicate that she's just not solo anymore. You know, this isn't just a solo dream. This has now become something that is inspiring other women that is about her becoming part of a group, uh, part of a a team that is breaking boundaries. Um, and then we get the line, you know, there's nothing between me and the sky, which of course in this context means something different, like the the sexism, the bureaucracy, all of these things that were holding her back um, have now fallen away. She's she's not only flying, she's she's flying professionally at the level that she wanted to fly. And so of course she gets this high note that is even more joyous than the first one. Um, she's really able to like riff and do it her own way, which is uh, what she's doing in her career. Suddenly I've got an all-female crew. The news caught and made headlines across the world. Suddenly it stopped. No one's saying you can't or you won't or you know you're not anything because you're a girl. I wanted to jump in here and say I love the women sing the phrases with her here. Um, which really is building and underlining how much she's she what she's doing is a step forward for women beyond herself. Like they they are singing the same thing. Um, they have heard the same things that she has heard, and they're all now kind of uh, beating that basically. So after all this triumph, hearing Beverly get her dreams, um, 
women singing behind her. Now the song shifts into a very different place. And the way that it does this is really kind of interesting because we get all the stuff about her family. She's married, she's got kids, um, you know, they're growing up really fast. But then it feels like we have a lot of lyrics on a fairly simple melody again, but now this time the repetition starts to feel crowded. It starts to feel like something has gone a little wrong, like there's too much to fit in. Something is not fitting in the same way. Um, and it feels a little bit like she's like losing control of the narrative in the same way that she's had it earlier. And of course, it's because she's now gotten to the part that is about 9-11. And, and we get this really beautiful, really devastating line about uh, there's been a terrorist action. And the one thing I love more than anything was used as the bomb. Um, and so that really hits us because we've kind of gotten we're you know, it's been going uh, on this trajectory that feels like a little bit like something has has gone a little bit off. And then we just hit that line. And of course, everything stops. Jen Kalila kind of speaks that line her voice breaks a little bit in the recording here um she's not singing in the same way that she, we obviously know she's can sing the crap out of the rest of this um it's it's really you feel how much that is devastating in the music and i really love the perspective that this song gives us here the show gives us many different people who experience 9-11 in very different ways um, but this is a very particular, very specific new perspective. Uh, this woman deeply loves flying. She loves airplanes and she feels a specific kind of betrayal that this thing that she loves more than anything was used as a terrorist weapon. Um, and I remember seeing the show for the first time and hearing the song and thinking, wow, you know, I, I never, that, that perspective never occurred to me. Um, and so, and this song, I think, really makes us feel that, you know, after hearing Beverly's soaring joy uh, at flying, at being in the sky, this little line stops all of that music. You know, it really takes us to a different place in the song. Suddenly I'm in a hotel. Something has died Suddenly there's something in I love the simplicity of this ending. After all of this story in this song, we get these two really simple lines. They're very slow. Um, tempos really change, like brought it down. The instrumentation has gotten a lot more minimal. Um, it's gotten a lot more intimate again. Um, and one of those lines is suddenly something has died, which is a really beautiful line that represents a lot of what people will say uh, things like in the show but we're getting it very clearly right here in this song and it's beautiful and then we get the line we know well um suddenly it's something in between me and the sky and this is flipped right after all of this song being about her achieving the sky now there's something there again preventing her from being in the sky and and because of the joy and this just triumph of earlier in the song 
coming back down to this place, falling back down into this sort of contained, grounded um, final moment, we really, really feel it. And it's interesting. So in the album, they finish the song here. But in the show, she doesn't say uh, me. She doesn't say the sky. She says suddenly there's something in between me and the and then her phone rings and she answers it and says, hello, I'm on my way. So in the show, we that is kind of the final poignant moment that uh, this whole song is about her having nothing between her and the sky, achieving the sky, achieving flying. And in this final moment, um, she literally cannot get to the sky. Uh, it doesn't, the song does not give her that final moment. We can hear very literally that she is separated from this thing again that she loves more than anything. And that, that is just devastating to us. So it's a really beautiful song to have. It's a really beautiful insight to have. Um, I'm glad that it's this character because it feels like we needed this moment with her, uh, you know, to really understand where she's coming from, but also to get this very different moment, um, this perspective from someone who, who has experienced this whole thing in a very different way. Um, so I'm very glad it's in the show and I'm glad Jen Colella sang her face off singing it because it is, she's done a beautiful job here and, um, it's a gorgeous song. And that will bring us to one of our favorite segments, How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria? How do you solve a problem like Maria? Where we talk about some of the issues with Come From Away, both internally and externally. So apart from the fact that, you know, I, I think its initial struggle as a show was that nobody knew what this original musical was going to be about, and it easily is typified as the 9-11 musical. It's it it is about so much more than that, right? As we as we've spent time talking about, but it does raise the question of addressing major tragedies in musicals is a tricky area, and and uh, you mentioned it with other teams' hesitation to take on the story, and and I think what could be perceived and and something again that I I learned in reading the book, um, the the coffee table book, there were a couple moments that like um within the show that they really had to tailor and be careful about what they said because they didn't want to be insensitive to people who had lived through 9-11, who had survived. You know, there's like a moment they're like, oh, well, you know, someone says like, well, at least we're not there. Um, you know, we may be here, but at least we're not there. And some character responded like, thank God. And someone at the NAMP presentation was like, you really can't, you can't say that. Like, just don't, just cut, thank God. Like, just don't say like, you know, don't say that because there were people who who had to live through that tragedy and 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 as characters obviously even within the show who lose family members and things because of the tragedy so i i guess annika how how do you as a contemporary theater maker and things feel about one taking this you know still very obviously as we were talking about um a few moments ago like a very emotionally you know fraught topic that I think for anyone who is alive and and is cognizant enough to remember a pre-9-11 world versus a post-9-11 world and those images in that day. Um, how do we contend that contend with that as we as we make theater to talk about it and and do you think the show does that successfully? Yeah, I mean it's it's funny because I feel like there's both like as soon as something large and horrible happens that we all live through. Um, 
there I think there is a both an, an immediate like terror of but also draw to put that story in art sometime somehow because that's how artists process things a lot of the time and it's how we as as humans process things a lot of the time is by you know confronting our feelings dealing with our feelings uh through art so I totally get it but I think I think the reason that Come From Away is so successful is because it really is not the story of 9-11 and it's funny I was thinking about this thing like sometimes when I'm talking about well I have this like thing that I think of sometimes which is sort of like it's it's the it's the baby deer when you're sitting on the porch you know and you see a baby deer in the woods and you don't you want the baby deer to come closer the worst thing you can do is to like look the baby deer in the face you know you have to pretend you're not looking you have to look direct like look at something else and the baby deer will come to you and as tortured a metaphor as that is I feel like sometimes to tell the stories of these things that are so emotionally fraught that are so laden with with feelings and tragedy and heaviness and a lot of stuff you cannot look them in the eye you have to tell a different story and that the truth and the the realness of that particular story will will come through by simp- by not trying to f- face it head on. I mean, if that makes sense. And I, I feel like that, like we were, I think Come From Away helps you deal with and process and think about 9-11 because it is such a human story because it is so much all of these people processing this thing that is too big to process in some ways and, and processing it in their very personal ways, which is just be like as opening and welcoming and, um, you know, as possible basically, which is also partially, you know, what that culture is, but, but it's interesting because when I was listening to the show again, I was thinking of welcome to the rock and, you know, this opening number, which is very much like we are tough people here you know, and like you, we will not be killed. We will not be the, and I'm like, this is kind of a fascinating opening number for this show because this is not a show about tough people or be people being tough. You know what I mean? Like this is a show about people being open and kind and tender really. So like to have an opening number that establishes like, welcome here you are. And like, we are a tough people is in some ways not the vibe of the show in a way that you would want your opening number to have uh, the vibe of your show. Cause it is, you know, your establishing moment. But, but I was also like, you know, it's interesting because in some ways it is a song and like, it's funny cause the writers talk about being asked to change that opening number and trying something else and nobody liked it. And they went back to this. Um, but in some ways, welcome to the rock is about survivors, you know, that Newfoundland is a place with horrible weather um and it's a tough place to live and all of these people who have made homes there have made this community because they they need each other in order to survive it is like you know everybody has come from somewhere else as they say and like um if you're an islander you are you are a survivor and it's like that's an interesting way to start a show because all of us survived well I'm not gonna say all of us they 
because obviously famously many people did not survive 9-11, but like all of us who experienced 9-11 lived through that, you know, came out the other side of this tremendously emotionally complicated, difficult thing. And so even though the show is not about people who are like surviving storms and fishing for cod and like making it through another winter um, in the way that that first number establishes, you know, it is setting up something sort of adjacent to the human experience we're going to see, which is the human experience of, of surviving, of getting through something, something that is hard and they make it happen, you know? And so it's kind of an interesting thing to set up because we are going to watch these people, all of them get through something that is very hard. And, you know, it's not, whether it's not um, actual like physical surviving of a situation, because obviously no one in, is in their lives are not in danger, but they are like going through a thing that is a, a massive earth shaking event for them. So, um, so that is kind of what I will say in general. Like, I think, I think my favorite pieces of art that have dealt with major um, tragedies or, or th even things that are very, very difficult, whether they're large scale or small um, are the things that really manages to locate the story still in the story of people, someone's story. You know, I think Adam Guan's song from Ordinary Days um, called I'll Be There, which is another really beautiful, I think that was the first time I ever saw anything that dealt with 9-11 successfully to me in, in art, um, is another one because that is that is locating the story in the story of a woman who is, you know, meeting a guy and, and falling in love with this guy and like it it surprises you what happens in that song it's it is not it is encoding a lot of emotions because it is not heading on with this massive thing so that is I think the best thing to remember that the, these are hard things to talk about because they are full of feelings and they are full of tragedy and they are full of now people saying like, you can't, you know, you can't talk about that or that's going to offend people or it's hard for people to take that. But like, you always can tell the story of a person who is experiencing this. We, you know, this is, this is how we do it as humans. We, we love stories. We learn about life through stories. And so tell us those stories, you know, tell us these people's stories, and then we will be able to feel our own stories about it. I think that's kind of the best, the best way to put it, you know? I mean, I think the other thing too, to point out very rightly about that opening number is that even though it's contrary, the the lyric and what we're putting up about these people is contrary to then how we're going to view them. The spirit of the show of the score is absolutely there from the first present moment. Like, oh it, yeah, you know, like it's giving you, it may not be giving you the, like the vibe of because you know you've got the people in conflict the the bus and the like all the different kind of things that are like the bus conflict and and the the different things um but that like that sound that they found for the show is is so 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 to me warm and cozy and it's obviously it is rooted in like true newfoundland instruments and and things um, but it gets at the heart of it so well that I think it also buys 
so much in terms of like ingratiating the audience to everyone on stage and to what you're doing like totally and and it kind of disarms you in a certain way because it's not the it's not the sound that you expect or think it's not like oh the first thing we're hearing is this like it's not evoking the the images or anything about what we have come to associate with the tragedy of that day right so it's like it is automatically disarming you and almost like inoculating you and dealing with the story on its own terms in a way that I yeah. think is really quite effective and and great. Yeah, I think no, I think it's a great opening number ultimately. And I, I think the other part of it is that, you know, if it started out and it was like, welcome, we welcome you. We're such good, like we love everybody. Like, and it was very sweet and sort of upbeat. Yeah. You wouldn't have anywhere to go because that's, you know, that's kind of one of the discoveries of the show is that like these this was not how anybody expected to spend their time or day or week or month or whatever, you know, it's like, it was a complete surprise. So you have to, you have to give us somewhere to go. And that number does that, but yeah, it is kind of an interesting, it's an interesting opening number um, to have for this particular show that I think ultimately works. Like, you know, I think it tell it gives us what we need and, and gives us a place to work from. Bob. Anyway, it's a bop. And even though, and even that community may have differences and things within it, they are not a monolith, but they're going to put aside those differences because there's something bigger that needs addressing that they, you know, together. And like that we, like, I think about the bus thing as like a, cause like why else include the bus, the, the fact that the bus workers or the bus drivers are on strike and mm-hmm. my, like why include all that except to, we're going to put this aside because there are things that matter more than that and so right we'll inside our differences to then welcome all these other different people who also have their own differences and like that is certainly like something that they want to draw attention to so i uh, i think the the next question that builds out a little bit um maybe out of this conversation is and i as i've mentioned i think the show part of the reason it was so successful or as successful as it was Though I think it would be equally successful. I think I don't think it's like of its time that it's going to not be. I don't think it's like, oh, it will only work right now or whatnot. It did feel for and um apologies uh for people who may disagree with what I'm about to say from in a political sense, but in a time that it really felt like we as a country were wrestling with though I am not equating Trump's election with 9-11 in the sense that, you know, like massive tragedy that like, you know, was a terrorist attack. I'm not equating those two things at a time when we as a country seemed quite and still seem quite divided and quite at odds. And um, there's so much toxicity. And and that was only that was all so brand new in in March of 2017, at least when I first encountered the show, but like there was so much of that at that moment that it really seemed to me to be such a brilliant piece in the moment because it was, it, it seemed to be talking about that without addressing that at all, because it wasn't about that in any way, shape. It wasn't about that. It was about this other thing that like, you know, was also, it was, you know, equally earth shattering and, and seemed like the end of the world in a lot of ways. Um, so I, I preface the the question about, I preface the question I'm going to ask with all that, because like, does the show, do you write the show differently? If you're writing it right now, if you were starting right now, 
is are there different considerations to put into place with the show um i for my money i i think the answer the for me the answer is no but annika what do you think like how do you think the show is impacted by the time in which it's written i guess is is really the is really the question yeah i mean my answer is almost no because i think the show is really brilliantly brilliantly built um, and I think it really, really works. And I think they do a very, very remarkable job of getting a lot of nuance in um, with a bunch of different characters that still register as separate people. Like, I, I think it's really masterful, especially when you consider, like I said, that like a lot of like if you look at this this book, the coffee table book about it, like which has commentary by the writers, they're like, this was basically said to us verbatim and like in a living room and blah, blah, blah. And like, this was like, like so many of these things are tr- almost transcriptions, like, which is pretty nuts, including they said at one point that like some of the things were actually too nice, that some of the things they wanted to put in, which were real, were like reading to audiences as like too much, that it just was unbelievable because it was so nice. Um, which is kind of an interesting thing, but um, yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it really works. The two things that I felt like when I was reading it, you would, you would probably give different weight to today. Um, were honestly the stories of the people of color in the show. Um, like, it's funny. I remember at NAMPT the joke about um, the character, uh, <laughs> like, I keep thinking the actor names, Rodney Hicks. I think it's Bob. Is it Rob or Bob? Mm, I mean, which one? Um, the one when he's stealing, you know, he's like this New York. Oh, movie, oh, black, yes, black man. yes, yes. Yeah. And he's he's like taking the 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 grill, the barbecues out of people's yard. And he like at, at Nampt, I remember that being slightly different because I remember that he's like, ter- you know, he's terrified to just go steal people's um, barbecues. And it, and I may be wrong about this, but I remember it at Nampt being that he's like in someone's yard stealing a barbecue and the guy is like are you stealing my barbecue and like goes inside and he thinks he's gonna basically like come out with a gun this guy and he comes out and is like here take all these hot dogs too um and they in the show it's a little bit it's a little bit softer than that like you're never he i don't think he really like even though he's freaked out by the idea of stealing people's gar bbq i don't think you like ever feel that he is is really in danger except for like a you know there's just the the that's the kind of the joke of it. Um, and when I saw the show, that sem- felt like a funny joke. But now I think like that joke is just not really as funny because the idea of a black man being scared that someone's going to shoot him for stealing something um, feels like it is something that has happened in reality many, 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 many times. Like we've seen so much violence against black men, especially um, that I think the audience would not really laugh at that in the same way like that doesn't seem as as kind of in the show it reads as a sort of like funny he's from new york he's a little paranoid he's not reading the situation right um now it just feels like oh that is a that is a that is a man carrying a lot of trauma for good reason because this is a huge problem in america um so i think that that would you would probably shift to give that moment a little bit less of a jokey quality a little bit more of something else um and the other one that i was thinking is that you know i feel like uh nowadays i would probably give a little bit more focus to the story of one of the um 
Muslim characters mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. a little bit more of like, like I would probably advise that they, they elevate like Ali, the, the chef, even though he's in there a fair amount, like a few times, elevate him to be one of the characters you follow a little bit more. So you get a little bit more. Cause I feel like that right now there's a few sort of Middle Eastern or Muslim characters who pop through the narrative at various points but you're you're not really following their stories in the same way that you're following like the couple who's falling in love, you know the, these other people, um, the woman who's lost her son, like, and I think I think you would want to elevate one of those stories to really feel like one of the main stories we were following because it is hard not to now be aware of the you know the immensity of the uh, Islamophobia that happened after nine eleven and you know that experience to me is just. In, in, an interesting one to include there and I, I do think that the show does a good job of not entirely letting its characters off the hook for that like I think there's a very fascinating I've always been fascinated by the moment when um Ali says the thing says to Beulah like I can help cook and she says no because it's always felt a little ambiguous to me as to whether she's saying no because she's like no it's fine you know you're a guest we're 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 cooking for you or if she's kind of sharing the sentiment that a lot of people had in that moment which was sort of like you are muslim you are foreign you may have done this i don't want you participating in this in the same way um and i think it's you know i i think it's real i mean as much as i don't want to see these characters that we've grown to love have sides of them that we're seeing that are like xenophobic or like I think it's realistic to include a little bit of that. That maybe Beulah is a little bit racist in that moment. Um, so those are the things that I feel like now I would say you would probably elevate a little bit. And and I don't want to make this sound like I feel like the show should be about those experiences because I don't think the show should be about any one experience. I think it's a really beautiful balance. I just feel like I would be interested to to have those experiences more reflected in the main narrative, especially the experience of um, like the Muslim uh, characters who are experiencing that kickback after 9-11 and, and what that was. So so th those are really the only things that I would say I think now would be slightly different. And I because well, and I I'm. I'm going to start this by saying I'm going to push back a little bit, not because I disagree, but just as because I actually think it does such a good job of balancing all those things. Not that it really does. I, I mean, would say not that you're saying it really it, does. You're not saying that it doesn't. And I, and yeah. that's why I was like, I'm, but it is one, I was searching through the book because there, um, the, the, David writes in the, as in a footnote about the the barbecue scene. I remember when Tom first saw his barbecue yeah. story on stage, he told us, it's not funny coming out of my mouth, but when Rodney says it, it's hilarious. Mm -hmm. And there is an interesting, like, yeah, in some ways, like it, it, it it's interesting, your point, your point of view on the situation, like the, that is also probably a, a joke in a story that plays differently depending on like literal geographic location and demographic of audience, right? Like that is like the tough, that's one of those tough things. Cause like, yeah. And, and to the same point, the ambiguity you're talking about with, with Beulah and the, and Ali, like that, I think they probably are playing up that ambiguity because they want the delivery of no, 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 I'm a chef. Like, Please, like yeah. they want it to, they do kind of want to trade in that because I think intentionally, because I agree with you, it's not necessarily the choice that I would make because I I don't 
I wouldn't want anyone to think that Beulah, because I don't think she is, but the kind of firmness with which she delivers that, or at least as interpreted by, you know, the initial production, like, is quite firm. And there is the like, oh, gosh, like, because you have seen such a fair amount of Islamophobia, especially directed at, at him. And there's the scene later that when he, when they're getting back on the planes and he is strip searched and, and, um, the pilot is like, you know, I'm so sorry that like, but he's humiliated. And it's like, it is interesting that I should say interesting that doesn't derail. It doesn't derail the show and become like a set, like yeah. piece in a way that I think it probably could. And I don't know that it would actually take away from kind of the, the moving truck of the, of the entire thing. Like if that moment were given more poignancy, because there is, she is not, and this is my own bias. He's coming out in some ways, but like, just because of the, her kind of pragmatism and the thank you for flying and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, she probably is a little sus of him. And she has that line about like wanting to protect her crew and her crew yeah. like doesn't want to go on the flight with him. And like, I'm like, Ooh, is there a little bit of like, ah, but you're okay. Like, you know, there is that tough, like, yeah, I don't know. I've not really said yeah. much of anything other than it's a tough it's it's tough to authentically deal with the complexities that every every person in that situation is dealing with in a way that feels um appropriate to everybody involved or without like getting dirty, yeah without getting down yeah. without making it right tough. and it's and it's also interesting because i think uh you know as as wonderful as um caesar samayoa is who played that part um, originally, I don't believe, I, I think he's from Guatemala. I think his, his family background is Guatemalan. Like, I don't, I don't believe there was an actual person from, um, the Middle East in the cast. And I, I kind of feel like that it w should be represented, yeah. um, on stage probably, um, even though he's an amazing performer and wonderful, but like, you know, I, I think you feel that absence a little bit that you don't have anyone, um, in this in this group who it feels like they're really representing that particular background. And that'll bring us to one of our favorite segments, our favorite things. These are a few of my favorite things. Where we talk about some of our favorite things with Come From Away. So, Annika, who is your favorite of the hundreds of characters? Who's your favorite character in Come From Away? The 11,000 characters in this show. Um, you know, I'm going to say Beulah, actually, because I, I really feel like she registers so beautifully as like the kind of den mother of, of the show. Um, and I, I feel like I track her well. Um, although, I, you know, runner up to Annette the Horny. Uh, horny I, thought, I, I, thought, <laughs> I thought you might say Horny Annette. I felt like there was a world in which you were going Annette. I'm also Beulah. I'm also Beulah. I love, I love yeah. Beulah a lot. My second, my second, my runner up is Diane. I just find Diane very, yeah. and she's the, um, she's the one who uh, is, is from, lives in Dallas, but falls in love with the British man. I just, there's something about her kind of willingness to go along for the ride with everything that I, I find really, really charming. Yeah. And I also just think their relationship is very, that could almost go as my like miscellaneous favorite thing is like, how often do we really get to see like characters of age like fall in love very genuinely and just I, I yeah. it's very sweet it's a very sweet aspect of the show yeah 
And also just, I mean, it's crazy that that really happened. You know, yeah, right. like that's the kind of thing you would think like, well, we should have a romance in it because it's a, you know, it'll be a nice thing to track. And it's like, well, conveniently. Well, and to be super and to be the super nerdy, not musical theater nerd, but just actual nerd. That is one of those like scientific things that when people go through traumatic and horrific experiences, they are more likely to fall in love because they are, um, they went through a similar experience together. There's like sciences studies on this that like, um, if anyone's a fan of uh, Helen, Helen something who did a great TED talk about this or just like love in general, she studies love. She's like the very scientific version of Brene Brown. Anyway, um, there's a great interest. That's one of those fun, like just fun little things. So what's your favorite song in the score of Come From Away? I I thought a lot about this um, because it's funny. I, I really like this score. It's such an easy show to listen to, but I, I also don't like... It's hard for me to differentiate yes. the songs when I'm thinking of them yes. because it's so like all mushed together. Um, so I really, uh, um, I really just have to give it to "Welcome to the Rock." Yeah. Although I really do like the like, um, I, there's a lot of phrases I really love in different songs. So there's a lot of ones I considered. Um, I like the kind of "Wherever We Are" motif. Um, but but yeah, welcome to the rock. It's just I really love it. I really it's in, immediately engaging, um, and it's I like listening to it. So that's my fave. What I think about you? A, I was gonna say I think it's a great call, and I agree. There are so many great motifs, and and the fact that the songs kind of mush together, I agree with that assessment. And it's not a net for me. It's not a negative. It just it feels like it's not sung through. It just feels like. Yeah, it feels like in such a palette that like I love it. So it is hard to in some ways, it just feels so natural the way it all progresses that it's like mm-hmm. it almost it's like one thing to me. But I love the screech in. Uh, oh, the screech in. I love the screech in that. I, I, I think oh, I just love it. That's that entire that sequence and all of it like, hey, hey, but it's I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, so what about what's your miscellaneous favorite thing about Come From Away? Um, so I have to say the reading the stories behind the story were very, very charming. And I, one of the things that I really loved was that, um, Irene Sankoff and David Hine were talking about, uh, going back at one point, cause they obviously made many trips to Gander and they were staying in someone's house, which as you said, helped, helped, uh, happened quite a bit that people would just offer their homes, um, but one of my favorite stories that they told was that they were staying in someone's house and the, and the person had said, the person wasn't there. They were like, let's take my house, you know? And she said, I, you might want to lock the door. And they were like, oh, okay. Is it unsafe or why? And they go, no, no, no. Cause, cause people will come over to tea. And sure enough, there was a morning where Irene sank up and David Hine came downstairs and there was like someone in their kitchen who was like, oh, good. You're up. Like, I thought maybe I could give you a tour today. And that was such a good indication of like um, what this community honestly is like, that you have to lock your door because people will be like aggressively friendly to the point that they will just be waiting in your house for you to wake up in the morning to offer you their time. You know, and yes. I just love that. I love that story. I love that story. It was such a good one in the book. And I was, you did a much better job telling it than I was trying to do earlier. But no, it's it's great. And for me, I think it's the, there, this is all of a piece, but like, I just love that it it is real people on stage. And like, it is not, not that we love our, we love our very pretty, not that anyone in the cast is ugly, but like our young 
cute like you know can dance can do all the things like people it's so great but I love that this is a show full of real people who I feel like I know and I've met and you see in the grocery store and they are on stage and they are wonderful and three-dimensional and human and there are so many of them I I that is one of my favorite aspects about this show is that it is just not even not even the reality just that like you know it the breadth of humanity is on stage in a way that I think is is really really wonderful and the and and coupling with that because they to me they feel of a piece but the the scene with um with the British man and Diane when they go when they're off the plane and they go to the Dover cliffs and the the bit about the picture and he just like they're you know going to take a picture of the cliff and yeah. just, like, rotates that little bit I'm going to get a I may get a little motion and he rotates just a little bit so that like he gets a picture of her too when they're not sure what's going to happen and all the things it's like that's such a wonderful human behavioral thing that I like I searched the book I was like I want that picture in the book give us that picture I want to see I want to believe that that really happened too because I was like that just feels like there are those times and days in life where you're like I'm just not sure if I'm going to totally remember what this is and so I just kind of want to capture the slice of this moment and it's just a beautiful moment to me that that really like gives me chills yeah yeah and it's funny because I feel like that is that is a level of detail that really like makes the show also quite special is that it isn't just like all these planes were diverted on 9-11 and then like this community welcomed up welcomed them and like they all became friends yay it was like the fact that they include this that that part of it when everyone's leaving again and there's that sense of like I mean I I think I I love the line that um Rodney Hicks character had (laughs) about like you know i'm talking to my father and he says like were you okay and he was like i was better like yeah that there yeah. was something about that that like unlocked a piece of everybody the, to make them better people it wasn't just that like oh we got through it great it was like there was there was something about that that was so deeply special um that there you can feel that as much as they're happy to be leaving and going back to their lives like including that level of like the nervousness that the the person that they become the the, this few days of experiencing this thing is going to just it's just going to go back to normal like it's not going to be the same um as something that was happening in that time and like that that's not something you necessarily have to add to this show you know there is a perfectly good version of the show that's like yay that's so nice that that happened um but there's something so deeply human about that that idea too of like wow, this is something that has changed me um, in many ways. And I I don't, I am nervous about leaving it behind because I don't want to leave it behind. But it was such a special circumstance that I don't know if it's going to be able to continue on and like that kind of thing. You know, and including the detail of like one of the Kevins having the, giving all of his employees a hundred dollars to go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, And it's funny because it's the, it's the kind of jerky Kevin, right? And like, actually- that's another thing that I love about the show too, that I thought about is just like the amount of depth of story that they get in these very small little threads. Like the fact that you can kind of track that this relationship is not a good relationship yeah. from very early, like that they are. And, and that one of the Kevins is like so closed off to everything. Um, and it's funny cause they have like an account from that guy. And I'm like, Oh, that's the only person that I would imagine like seeing this show and being like, 
oh, hey, <laughs> I don't come across so great, do I? Um, but he seems to be fine. And I think he's the one who started that thing with his employees. So like even the people who are presented as having a tougher time with this whole experience and are never quite open to it in the way that other people do are changed by it. Oh, I just love this show. And that will bring us to our penultimate segment, Corner of the Sky. Gotta find my corner of the sky. Where we talk about this show's place in the musical theater canon. So it's hard always with the new shows to to really know like what their what their place is. Um, but I think for me, in case I haven't stepped on my soapbox enough in this episode. For me, Come From Away is is such a brilliant and wonderful example of how musical theater can tell new and original stories that are simultaneously complex and uplifting um, and not, um, you know, it's not like it's a show full of villains. It's not so dark and like, oh, self-important. It just is a wonderful, beautiful story of humanity. Um, and, you know, in a way that I think is really surprising that it that more don't exist, I think, or that I can't immediately think of a ton. I think so many of the original shows that we that that end up getting to a certain level of prominence are are quite serious and and often dark um or have really like, you know, um, profound things to say that I, I'm gonna go in the realm of like just in the more dramatic profound things to say not necessarily not that this is a comedy but it's they're not always uplifting in the same way or full of the same joy and um to your point like it does such a good job of balancing the saccharine qualities of it with the with the kind of stringent conflict and it, it does such a good job with that um but to me that's this show's that's this show's place and and uh, I and also it's a Canadian musical and there actually aren't a ton that like certainly rise to this level of prominence, but, um, and, and that will, you know, hopefully change. I know Michael Rubinoff is hard at work at that. And where there are lots of people who are, who are involved in creating great Canadian musical theater. Um, but this is really like, uh, hopefully a signal that we can expect, um, and, and see more. And this has hopefully helped create, um, an environment in Canada that is more welcoming of, of developing new musicals um, and really putting them um, forward internationally because this it is international. But Annika, what 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 would you say is this this show's corner? Yeah, I mean, I think all of that is very very true. Um, I agree about Canadian musical theater. Don't sleep on it; it's coming. It's there are some really amazing people up there. Um, yeah, I, and I I think it's you know. It, I mean, in some ways, I think this show is unique um, because of what it tackles and the way that it tackles it. You know, it's it's hard for me to say like, oh, it's going to be a model for something because it it is very specific. I mean, I, I think it is one of the sort of like most prominent um, shows that use that that kind of interview narration style um, that the that, as you mentioned, Laramie Project does. Um, what's that company called? I'm like, totally forget. Tectonic. Tectonic. So, yeah. Tectonic. Yeah. Um, that Tectonic does like a lot of theater companies do that and they do it really beautifully, but, but I've never seen one that has sort of like been a hybrid musical uh, doing it in the same way that this has done it. So um, yeah, it's it just, I think it's going to, I think it's corner of the sky as being this, like, uh, it's one of the, 
most li like life affirming warmest shows I think that that exists and the high degree of difficulty for have being that about something that is one of the darkest times um in you know in the past hundred years and past certainly in my lifetime you know like it's it's a remarkable show well that wraps it up for our deep dive into come from away but before we go Annika has to give us a clue about what comes next what comes next so Annika what is our clue for the next show we'll be getting to know this show which we've talked about doing for a long time shares DNA with three famous rom-coms. This show? Movies. Yes, specifically. Um, and is not a movie itself. Somewhat controversially, perhaps we'll, perhaps we'll get into it. I have feelings, we shall. Because I have feelings about it. This show is, if, if No The Show has a Susan Lucci, it is this show. Yeah, we talk about doing the show every, every episode. <laughs> every episode, we're like, maybe this one, maybe this is the time. And there is a, um, I guess the secondary clue is there is a specific reason that we have decided that it will be the December episode. And we'll yes, that is true. That. We'll leave it at that. Yes. Also, I will say, uh, waiting and not being chosen is not uh, out of keeping with the show in some way. Say that. It's really, yeah. It's true. It's sort true. of. I'm put. That's a stretch. It's, it's it feels, stretch. No, but, it, but you it know what? I'll go like, with it. It feels like in the realm of like, yeah, yeah. For this show, but there's like, one famous famous scene where there's that is a thing. That there's a song about that. But also, you know, like it's kind of one of those that is, if you never, if you know, if you didn't see it, you may not be aware of it, and yet it is a brilliant, wonderful piece of musical theater. Yes, it really is. So we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.